Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad, it incorporates providing and serving your home, loving and serving your spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving your kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and definitely messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. I couldn't be more excited about this episode. John Strzelecki, the author of The Big Five for Life. This book has influenced me more than any other except maybe the Bible. But this book is truly incredible. I mean, rebel and create my mantra, my core values in my life have all stemmed from the guidance of this book, really teaching me to pause and really look at my life as worthy of having a mission statement and a purpose statement and values. You know, we'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars and time building mission and values for our businesses, for our churches, for organizations. Your life is your life. Your one opportunity here on this planet to create that for yourself is incredible. You're going to love this conversation with John because it's not just super high, big picture stuff. Very practical in how not only to think about your own purpose, your own values, but that of your family and also how to help your children uncover theirs. Enjoy this conversation with my friend, John Strzelecki. Welcome to another episode of Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes. I am super excited to be talking to John Strzelecki. John, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, so excited to have you on. Um, I was joking before that I didn't want to totally fan out because this guy has influenced me the last eight or nine years, but uh, his book, Big Five for Life, uh, has significantly impacted my life, my family, and my business. And I've actually given over 300 copies away. That's thank you. That is that's really the highest compliment possible as an author when someone likes something enough that they then share it with someone else. And uh, 300 shares is is over the to- over the top in a wonderful way. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's it's awesome. It's just it's been so impactful for me um, for my life, and even the book that I wrote. I was looking at it and it all stemmed from my PFE and my big five. So like the flow, the layout, it's really me just sharing my PFE with the world, which is to rebel against uh, the status quo of what a man is supposed to be and then create the life that I believe I was designed for and then share it with other people. Um, and so I that all that. came from it. And I love that. So I've, I've read the book and there's just tons of great stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think one of the people often ask me, you know, how do I change the world? And the my answer after a lot of thinking about this is it's by being authentic. Mm. And so when we allow ourselves to be authentic in the way that we parent, in the way that we allow ourselves to do the things that inspire us, then even if we did nothing else, just that, right? We just allowed ourselves to be authentic. In the process, other people will see that. And it gives them permission to be authentic as well. That's one of the things that I really loved about your book was I, I saw the authenticity in your stories and your willingness to, to be raw and say, this is the places where I wasn't great, right? These are the places where I did something that worked out really good. And so as a reader, someone looks at that and says, okay, like this guy was willing to put himself out there. You know what? 
I'll try and put myself out there too and just see how that goes. Uh, so that's how we change the world by being authentically us. That's awesome. And what would be your suggestion as far as how somebody can be authentic with so many mediums telling us what would make us happy in our life? Yeah, well, you alluded to the big five for life. And to me, that's it's mm. this mantra that I live my life by. Um, it stems from an experience I had when I, I left everything behind, backpacked around the world in my early 30s. Everybody was like, dude, you're nuts. Like, why, why don't you? Like, this is the kind of thing you do when you're 19 or 20 or maybe 23, but you don't go do this when you're at this stage of your career, you know? Um, but I did. And, and I had this major, major epiphany, which was asking myself, what are the five most important things I want to do, see, or experience in my lifetime before I die? And, and that's pretty dramatic, but it's dramatic for a good reason because if I'm willing to be authentic, and to answer that question for myself, well, now I can start living my life in a way that really has me excited about every day. And I'm not going to say that once you figure this out and you start living your life this way, that every moment is perfect. Like That's not the way life works. Right. But I will say that at some point, you climb what I call the ascending life curve and your life gets better and better to the point where, yeah, you still have highs, you still have lows, but your lows are now higher than what used to be your highs. Yeah. And this was a really profound awareness for me as I allowed myself to be authentic. And, you know, I think the key thing for this is when you have this, this awareness of what your personal big five for life are, then it becomes the guiding presence for, all right, what am I doing Monday through Friday? You know, what items am I, I willing to accept on my to-do list? What requests that come in am I saying, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Or which ones am I saying gracefully and with dignity? Thank you very much. I'm going to pass on that. That's the hardest part, Hans, to learn to use your big five to say no to things. It, I mean, it becomes easier with practice because you start mm -hmm. to realize that, okay, the days that I'm in sync with it, and, and you know, a lot of our focus I know on our, our discussion today is about parenting. And so parenting plays into that beautifully to me. If I make the decision, and I'm not saying this is everybody's call, but if I make the decision that I want to be a great dad, and then I say, so that's one of my big five for life, be a great dad. And then you say, well, all right, so what does that look like? What does that feel like? And you say, well, I want to make sure that I spend this amount of time with my kids every day. And, and maybe it's having breakfast with them. Maybe it's not missing a sporting event. We were talking offline about, all right, sporting events, right? So maybe you decide, I want to be there for every Little League game. Right. Well, then when that call comes in and they say, hey, uh, John, you know, here's our interview request coming in from you know, this big news media outlet. Um, well, what, what day is it? What time is it? Oh, it's in conflict with the baseball game. Nope, not available. Right. And it yeah. just makes, it actually takes all the stress out of it, to be honest with you, because, you know, and I'm sure it makes people somewhat frustrated with me at times, but I'm like, no, these are the things that are most important to me. So everything else is going to be a no. I'll try and accommodate. I'll try and do it a different day, but I'm not going to lose the thing that's most important to me. I love that. So maybe give a quick summary of what PFE Big Five and then what Museum Day are. So it kind of gives people context through the rest of our conversation. Sure. Yeah. PFE is your purpose for existing. And that's the overarching reason. If you were to answer the question um, that I posed in, in the first book that I wrote called in, in English, it's called The Why Cafe. Uh, he, this guy finds these, this menu and on the back of the menu, there's three questions. And the first one is, is what we're talking about. It's why am I here? And when you think about life, not from the standpoint of just how busy we are and how many little things we've got going on, but really from the standpoint that, all right, I've been gifted 28,900 days statistically. What am I doing with them? You know, and, and that brings you back. You ask enough of those questions and you find yourself at this core question, which is why am I here? 
And that's up to each of us to decide. Maybe we want to design the next great uh, Eiffel Tower equivalent, you know, something with architecture. I don't know. Maybe you want to go make a dramatic difference in the lives of others by building homes for impoverished people. Everybody's decision is their own. But the question is, what is it for you? And then when you have that, and so that's sort of the overarching umbrella. And then underneath that umbrella is what I like to call the Monday morning question. So, okay, great. So given that your PFE is to make a difference in the lives of others, for example, Mm -hmm. what does that mean tactically? You know, what are you doing specifically to make that happen? And those are your big five for life. Those are the five things underneath that umbrella that you most want to do, see, or experience in your lifetime before you die. Um, The last one you mentioned is Museum Day. This is something that really... Uh, I get talked, uh, many fans, when they read the books, come back to me and say, I, just, I love that concept. And yeah. um, it's something that came to me actually visiting a tiny little museum. That's where I got inspired for it. But the idea is that if you were to live out your life and if every single moment was recorded, um, audio, video, everything, and then when you when you died, a museum was built to honor you and that museum would show your life exactly how you lived it. And there would be pictures and videos and, and terminals where you could click on different sections and see all the different aspects of your life. And But your life would actually show how you lived it. And so if your dream was to be in a sailboat with your five kids and, and sailing the Caribbean, but you never actually did it and instead, instead spent all your time in a cubicle, then that's what your museum would consist of, you sitting in that cubicle wishing you were doing something else. And the big aha for me as this concept came to me was, well, what if heaven or the afterlife or however each person defines life works, like what if that is actually what that consists of, us being the tour guide for our museum for all of eternity? And wow, that like really, yeah, yeah, that puts things in a different perspective, right? right? Because it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, I missed the baseball game the last six times. But what if you had to relive missing the baseball game six times for eternity? Wow. And you had to be the tour guide that showed everybody else. Oh, on this day, what I did is I, I took that call that was really less important to me and I missed the baseball game. And oh, by the way, you got four more tours today where you have to explain that that was your decision-making process, right? Man, I love that. Yeah, the the last couple of years, it's probably been three to five years realizing that there were days when I would give my best energy to somebody else, right? So yeah. being running my business and being in sales, it's like I gave my best energy to somebody I may not even know in a year or may not even want to work with me in two years right. and then coming home and not having that best energy. So those reminders of PFE and big five and the museum day, especially like you said, a lot of people bring that up to you because the idea of reliving you know, because we always think tomorrow is going to be better. I mean, I think a lot of times. So to think, gosh, am I going to relive yesterday for eternity? Yikes. Well, and the cool thing is uh, when you have amazing moments of your life, when you go back and relive those, it, it's it's every bit as amazing, right? I mean, yeah. I think about times that my family and I have spent together and, and we love to travel. Travel is one of my personal big five for life. And I'll see a picture. So we have pictures all over our house randomly placed um, and when I look at that picture, I remember everything. I remember the smells, the sounds, the sights, the, the, the day before, the day after, you know? Yeah. And so when you have these great moments in your museum, the value they add is exponential. But to the contrary, as you were just saying, when we have moments that you're like, why, why, <laughs> what was I thinking? Right. That, that actually has sort of that negative ongoing value as well. And so right. this, is, this is why it's, 
so unique to think about life in this way. And again, the constraint is statistically 28,900 days. And I got to tell you, there's a staggering statistic I came across when I was working on the sequel to the Y Cafe book. And that is that about 18% of men never make it to age 65. And so if the big dream is that we're going to save up, save up, save up, save up, and then finally we get the golden years and we're 65, I hate to burst the bubble, but one out of five of us guys isn't even going to get there. So, wow. you know, it's really challenging you to think about your life today and what matters to you. Right. So, man, it's so good for each of us listening right now to be thinking about that, that we need to live our life now. And it's, and don't get me wrong, I'm not in the category where it's like, everybody max out your credit cards, then declare bankruptcy, do it again five more times. Like, I, I firmly believe in being responsible and reasonable and having a plan and like honoring the plan. Right. But you can do all of that in the context of still looking at life from the standpoint of what is most important to me. And am I allowing that to be where I'm allocating, as you said, my time, my energy, my resources? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, to give people just a, a little bit more understanding of who you are, maybe just tell us a little bit about you and your family. Sure. Yeah. So what you do to provide for your family. Yeah. So I, my full-time gig providing wise is as an author. Um, I, I am a family man. I have a daughter. She's 12 uh, going on 13. I can't believe it. I so remember the day that she was born and I held her in the hospital for the very first time. And holy cow, the days just fly by. And uh, so that's that experience has been one of the things that has really helped prompted me to have this to do my best to have this state of awareness each day is because kids put time in a different perspective. Hmm. It's just they, they accelerate it. It makes it go so much faster. Um, so, yeah, so we're a, a group of three and uh, this is how we travel. This is how we go about our lives. And I've been doing that ever since the day she was born. And uh, we we do some joint things that are just purely recreational in terms of our travel. And then we also do things that are sometimes tied to the work that I do. So if I'm going to do a major speaking event somewhere, um, my family will come with me and then we'll bundle it all together. But uh, that's us. Is your daughter homeschool or no? Yeah. So we've, we've had an interesting little balance. And I, what I love about this is as you were talking about a willingness to try things different. When I went to school, you just went to school. Like <laughs> you walked there every day or rode your bike, and then you were bored. At least for me, I was bored most days, and then I came back home. And this, this was school, and this went on for what felt like forever. But because I, I teach and I'm out there talking about a willingness to try things differently and asking yourself these bigger questions, that when my daughter was school age, we asked ourselves some bigger questions. And one of the first ones was, when is she going to start school? And what we decided was that we were going to take her on a year of backpacking around the world first. And this, at what age? At four and a half. Wow, that's yeah, awesome. I know. When I look at pictures of her now, there's a piece of me which is like, what were you thinking? Right? This little, this little tiny little four and a half year old. But I will tell you some amazing stories. And, and part of the reason that I got this is because I was asking a guy one time. I met this guy. He was so incredibly self-confident, really nice guy. And I said, where does that come from? And he said, you know, my parents took me on an RV trip when I was six years old and we were going to be out there for three months. And they told me the very first time we stopped at one of the campgrounds, listen, here's how the summer is going to go. Either you're going to sit inside the RV all summer or you're going to get out at every stop and you're going to go out there and make friends. And the joy of your summer is going to be entirely dependent on your choice right now. And he said, so very first time I felt a little uncomfortable, but I got out of the RV and I walked until I found some kids and I introduced myself and he said, that summer, I learned so much about putting yourself out there 
And that honestly, huge. Oh, he said, that's honestly how I am the way I am today. Well, I never forgot this guy. I never forgot this story. So then when my daughter was like four and a half, I was like, all right, this kid loves animals, right? Let's take her around the world, backpack around the world and, and show her what it's like to backpack, show her what it's like to see animals around the world and to see, you know, like we're pretty lucky where we live and not everybody is so lucky and to embrace that state of gratitude. Holy cow, Ned. Best decision. Absolutely yeah. best decision. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So as you think about when you first became a dad, what has been, I mean, that was a great resource, just that one conversation you had, but were there any other resources that helped you? Um, because that's one thing I love about fatherhood is like a level playing field. It doesn't really matter how much you know or where you found yourself in life. We're all going to kind of deal with the same wow, I'm a dad now and yeah. this person is going to rely on me. What were a couple or one resource that was good for you as you became a dad? I will say that, so I mean, we read a number of books, Baby Wise. And um, so actually, I'll, this is something very so tactical, but if somebody has a newborn out there, this is critical to your health and safety and survival. There was, I, I can't remember the name of it, but if you Google it, you'll find it. And there was this guy who had this video series and it was the five S's to help you put a little baby to sleep. And oh my God, this was unbelievable, right? And I, it was swaddle and shush. I can't remember all five at this point because it's been a lot of years, but nonetheless, yeah. this thing was incredible. And what I learned in the process of doing all these things is that if you, if you understand these little t tips and tricks, Mm -hmm. your life gets a thousand times easier. And one of them that I discovered, he, he was talking about in a, so it was, it was a swaddling, it was a shushing. And then you would walk with your baby. And so Ned, I would walk with my daughter around the house. It was all dark in the house. Right. And I noticed that at five minutes, as I was cuddling her when walking, she would fall asleep. And so then I would put her in the crib. And I noticed that it was, cause I was like watching the clock. Cause I was literally making a right. circle in my house. Right. And I'm like, Oh, one minute, two minutes. And uh, I realized that at five minutes, she would fall asleep. I could put her down. Well, at three minutes, she seemed kind of a little bit like asleep. And I would try and put her down. Within 30 seconds, she'd be in the crib like, wah, right? I was like, okay, so I got her five minutes, right? But these types of resources are invaluable. And right. so the more you can ask another parent, like, hey, what's something that worked really good for you? And this worked really good for us. And so that's an absolute can't miss tip. But I will say that in addition to getting these tips from other people, which is fantastic, Trust your intuition. And I love that. This is something that we are not trained to do well, especially now. Like, I think maybe when we were kids, it was a little bit better than it is now. But now, with everything from like your phone has all the map features on it, like all these intuitive skills that our brain is capable of, for the most part, are being digitized. And we just got to look at the screen and it tells us the answer. Right. But parenting is so much about trusting your intuition. And I remember everybody telling me, oh my gosh, terrible twos, get ready, worst thing ever, right? I just didn't buy it. I was like, I don't, I don't see that. Like so far I have a great relationship with this little human being. Why is it going to suddenly turn, catast turn catastrophic when she turns two? And so I just didn't believe it. Well, what I discovered was that at two – their little brains are processing and finding the word no. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out where that barrier is. You know, where's the upper edge of that envelope for where no is applicable? And so here we go. She's about two. She's discovered the word no. And one day we have the meltdown of all meltdowns, right? 
I don't even remember what it was about at this point, but she is just like out of control. And in general, she's like a really like calm, healthy, happy kid, right? And so I feel inside of me the desire to like unleash. Right. And everything, and I'll, I, I'll remind me because I'll tell you a story about something that has been unbelievable for me as a father that I, I did at the hospital on day one, which has so changed my life in terms of how I parent. But so I'll tell, remind me, I'll tell you that story in a second. But basically, so she was two, she's having this unbelievable meltdown. And I got down on my knees and I looked her in the eyes and I said, Boo. I said, I was super quiet, right? Super calm voice, super quiet. And I said, Boo does daddy talk like, like that to you? And she, she kind of like stopped for a second. She said, no, right. That little two-year-old voice, that perfectly precious two-year-old voice said, no. And I said, so please don't talk to me like that. Ned, I had to do that three times, right? Cause I'm not saying it's going to work the first time three times. And that was it. That was it. I love that. I think, and I think that the critical moment in there just to catch is that you got down on her level. Yeah. Right. You got down where it's your eye to eye to her. You're not using your strength or power in the wrong way. Right. You're using your strength and power to, to realize you need to come down to her level. I love that. That's huge. So good. And I'll tell and you, I think I was just going to say, if you're a, you know, say you have the 12 or 13 year old, I think that you could still implement that same thing now. You know, it doesn't have to be that uh, I should have done that 10 years ago. You could start to create that kind of trust and relationship with your kid now. Um, and I would good. Say, if you're going to do that now, and so that's not something that's been there historically, and definitely remind because we got to talk about this other thing too. So, but if you're starting now, I think the key thing there is patience. So you got 12 mm. or 13 years of history that says, of coding really, which says when step one happens, step two is the response. And the response to the response is this, right? And it's this escalation of emotions. And so it is going to take three months, maybe six months before this new code, this new pattern is established. That's good. And I've noticed that kids will kids will try and test how serious you are about the new code, right? And so they're going to push every button that can be pushed to see if you'll react the old way. But man, oh man, if you are willing to hold your ground and stay in that state of calm, again, it may take three or six months, but there will be a dramatic transition at that point. And you're absolutely right. That's so good. So what's the hospital story? Well, so I, I think this is relevant to a lot of us dads, which is uh, you're talking about how do you decide how you're going to parent? Some of the decisions are you think about, well, what did I really like when I was a kid growing up and the way that my parents interacted with me? Sometimes, depending on our life stories, what you can look at is say, I'm not going to be like that, all right? And I, I have to say that there was a major portion of my childhood, which when I thought about parenting, I thought, I'm not going to be like that. And it was all around yelling. So yelling mm. was a big piece of my childhood experience. And I, I remember hating it as a kid. And so I, don't, I can't say I consciously pre-thought this before my daughter was born, but on the day that she was born, we're in the hospital and literally she's there, right? And they say, do you want to clean her off? And so it's kind of weird as a dad, like you, you know the baby's, at least for me, the, you know the baby's coming, but you don't have this connection yet mm -hmm. because the mom is the one who's carrying the baby. And then here's this little human and they hand you this tiny little baby and I had zero experience with babies and 
you still don't necessarily have this connection connection yet because you just met, right? It's like day one. But I remember looking down at this tiny little human being and my intuition just screamed at me this thought. And I, I looked at her, I get emotional thinking about it. I looked at her and I was cleaning her off and I said to her, I said, I will never raise my voice to you. Never. Mm-hmm. Now, this was such a stark contrast to the way that I was raised and you know the experience I had growing up. But let me tell you how this has played out. So we all have inside of us code. And whether we understand it or realize it or not, that moments in our life happen and our default behavior is based on what we experienced before in that moment, right? And as an example, it'd be like when eight-year-old son does this, father acts like this. And then when we're the father, but now we have the eight-year-old son and eight-year-old son acts like this, the default code in our heads is to do exactly what we've right. learned through our normal life experience. But we can rewrite that code and we can rewrite that code by being conscious. And so I made this decision on that day, I would never raise my voice to this child. So as life does, life gets to challenge you on these things. And so I distinctly remember when she was two and having this thing, like I felt it rising inside of me, man. Right. I mean, yeah, you was there. Oh, it was that it was screaming to come out. Right. Because I knew if I did what you're talking about, if I demonstrated my power, right. I'm at that point, I'm like three times her size physically height wise. Right. I can absolutely pay, play the power position, raise my voice louder than hers. Right. But inside of me, is this little filter that I have inserted on day one when she was born. It says, I can't do that because that's not who I am. That is not the dad I'm going to be. So I defined this parameter for myself. Mm, Yes. And so now when I'm about to breach the parameter, my internal intuitive system is screaming to me, don't do that because that is not who you are. So, and it kept coming up, right? And I kept learning things every time it came up. For example, she was like three and a half. And at three and a half, they are so hard to get to brush their teeth. At least my kid was. Yeah. <laughs> you know how critical it is because their baby teeth are there and that you want them to like, you know, go away by fruit juice and the rest of this. So you got to get them to brush your teeth. But this is like monumental for some kids who have high energy, which was my kid. So we're in the bathroom and she's, it's, you know, so they're too little. So you have the stool there so that they can see the sink and they can spit in the sink. So she's jumping up and down off the stool, off the stool. I had had a very frustrating day that day with contracts that I was trying to negotiate. I had two or three people that were supposed to do something that did not do something, which in general is one of my great annoyances in life. I'm like, listen, if you say you're going to do it, do it, right? Right. And do it right. And so all of this stuff was in my head all day long, in my energy stream all day long. And now it's nighttime and we're trying to brush teeth and all she wants to do is that, 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 that off the little bench. And I can feel it, Ned. I can feel it rising inside of me, man. Right? Yeah. But again, because I have put this filter that I have to go through before I can raise my voice. And what do I realize in that moment? I realized that if the rest of my day had been fine, her jumping up and off the stool, I'm like being a goofball with her. I'm like, oh, you want to see jumping up and down this tool? Watch this. And I'd be jumping up and down, right? Mm. Her behavior is not the problem. It's everything else that happened in the day that is what created that frustration inside of me. 
But what my brain wants to do is it wants to release that. And unfortunately, so many times what you see and experience as a parent is that your brain wants to release that towards someone who you know will forgive you. Mm, Gosh, dang it. That's so big. Right. But that is not, to your point, that is not where we want to direct our energy. No. Right. With the clients on the phone, no matter how much they're pissing us off, we can bite our tongue and be like, okay, thanks a lot. I appreciate the efforts. Have a great day. And then we hang up the phone. We're like, right. So it's, and a lot of times that's directed at a spouse or a kid. And like you said, it's not their action. No. And then it builds this lack of trust between you and them, which is not what you want. No, absolutely not. You know, I I, I had this great epiphany one day and I'll paraphrase it. I wrote it in a way that I really loved and I'll paraphrase it. But it was in essence, the people we love will forgive, forgive us for almost anything. But it's not necessary to keep asking them to prove that. Mm. All right. So by by having this awareness about where that energy is coming from, where we're redirecting it to, I think that gives us the chance to be the parent that we really want to be and not just a victim uh, or a respondent to this code that sits inside our psyche. I love that. That's so good. So good. Um, All right. To jump in a different direction, this podcast is Fatherhood Field Notes. And the idea is that we open up our field notes and share, which is exactly what you've already been doing, is sharing your life with us so that we can learn because that's how we learn. We learn from each other's stories. Um, And the mantra is rebel and create. and, And the idea is we can rebel against things in this life. We can we can be conscious, like conscious, like you're saying, don't just kind of be asleep at the wheel be aware of the status quo and tear that down. But if you're going to tear it down, what do you hope to create out of that? So what's something small or big that you are currently uh, rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that? Yeah, I'm doing my best to always rebel against uh, pretty much anything, but uh, anything and everything because I love to do things differently. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as, as parenting in particular goes, uh, we were talking about schooling and I got sidetracked with that. But I, I love this idea of allowing ourselves to rebel against the standard and instead ask ourselves, what is best for us as a family and for my child in particular in terms of their personal development? Because for me, learning in school was just, it was a means to an end. It was like get done with third grade to get to fourth grade to eventually get done with high school to get done with college and then go work. And the goal of working was just to work long enough and hard enough until I had enough money that I didn't have to work. And I realized that, man, life can be so much different than that. If you can, if we can allow ourselves to enjoy learning for the sake of learning and you know, find the subjects that really interest you so that the process of learning is as exciting as the outcome of, okay, I finished the book. And that means being willing to rebel against the process of traditional schooling sometimes. So we've done traditional schooling for so, uh, my daughter and we've done uh, – so she did kindergarten, loved her teacher, awesome teacher, incredible teacher, right? Then she got into first grade. They put her in what they call the accelerated class. Why in God's name? They are already segmenting kids who are six years mm. old. I have no idea because let me tell you, when I was six years old, they would have put me in the has zero attention span class, right? Right. I, and so they, sh- I really think they should just let kids interact with each other and play to their respective strengths. Nonetheless, so she got done with this class. Ned, it was all structure. It was like, 
Oh, right. we're preparing right. the kids for the next great uh, academic challenges. I'm like, no, there are six. <laughs> and so she hated it. Absolutely hated yeah. it. And so we did homeschooling for three years. And I rebelled because I had so many things going on career-wise. I had so many people asking, would you come and speak in Europe? Would you come and speak in Asia? But I was I was the teacher. And that meant not not really because right now I'm the teacher. But then we rebelled again and said, okay, so how do we take this show on the road? Like, how can we enable you to do homeschooling and I'm still your teacher and we're still traveling on the road, right? And so constantly rebelling against the status quo and what we think has to be the way that we march to me has been invaluable. Mm, That's so good. And I love too that you have the flexibility um, because sometimes I think we, we go all in and we feel like now that I've gone all in on school or homeschool or partial, we have to stick with that forever. It's like, no, stop and reevaluate your PFE, your big five, and and where your life is headed. Do you need to course correct? You need to make changes. So I think that's big for people. Um, I mean, I, even myself, I feel like sometimes if I announce to the world, this is what I'm doing, then I don't want to look stupid to then change my mind in, in a year or two. But it's my life and my family, and I should be more concerned with what's best for them than what others might think about it. Well, I think you laid it out perfectly, which is so I and I totally get that because by the time I make a decision on something like I have done my very best to think through all the options. And so, mm-hmm. it, you know, my wife would be the first to tell you it takes an act of God to get me to change my mind <laughs> once I have locked in on something because my take is I've evaluated all the data. This is direction I want to go. So in the absence of future data or my intuitive something kicking in, I'm still going to be marching in that direction. That said, when we realize new data has come in or my intuition. And I can't explain to another person on the planet why my intuition is telling me that we are going to course correct. It's okay to course correct. And to me, the takeaway is the rest of the world may look and say, well, why? The answer is because I learned something new. I learned a new piece of information which says that is no longer the right path for me. This is the right path instead. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. So as long as I've learned it, I've evaluated it, and I made the decision in my or my family's best interest, I think it's awesome. If it's because, oh, the latest story on CNN said this is how you should parent your kid, yeah, then it's not so great. Nah. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. All right. So as I thought about our time together, I came up with three questions that I'd like to dig into for a minute. Sure. You know, because PFE and big the, the Big Five for Life, you know, was written. I mean, I'm saying it's your book, but from the perspective of a business owner. So we can apply it to business. I think very much it's easy to apply to um, yourself, like as you read it, what's your personal PFE and big five. And something that I wanted to ask you once I learned that you were a father was, as a dad, how do you cultivate and keep your child, help your child discover their passions or their PFE and their big five? So Maybe we could talk about that because as fathers, we have this incredible role where we have this human being sure. that we are not just trying to raise a good kid. We're trying to send off this adult who's going to go off into the world and what greater legacy do you and I have? And so helping to cultivate their passions and help them see them. So there you go. Yeah. So that's uh, one of the wonderful things about if you know your kid's big five for life, life becomes so easy from a parent perspective. Because if your kid is interested in music, uh, then it gives you the opportunity to get on Google and type in, okay, so what what musical events are going on in my town this week? Mm. And then you can turn back to them and be like, hey, House of Blues has got this event going on. Would you like to go? Right. 
I know that you're totally into ska music and I just saw this thing going on and would you like to go? I mean, you know, it's just, if, if the kid's into art and you're buying Christmas presents, okay, art supplies. <laughs> it's just like, it makes it so easy to uh, allow them to to foster and grow their life in the direction that they're actually excited about. So, so in terms of- learn what they are? Yeah, the great thing about kids is kids are so much easier. So mm. when, when adults come to me and they say, you know, I'm interested in discovering my big five for life, what's the process? And so we have an experience that people can go through. That's a two-day experience and they can do that. Honestly, Ned, a kid, like a kid in a 30-minute conversation will tell you exactly what they are because they don't have as many layers of you can't do this, you have to do this, you should mm. do this. And so, you know, by by simply asking them, well, you know, hey, if we were to um, – if we were to take a little more together time this this month, and so we'll do whatever you're excited about doing, what, what what do you think that would be, right? And again, this is where patience comes in because if if we haven't had that type of dynamic with our kid before, their first response might be something along the lines of, "Well, whatever you want to do," right? Or or I don't care. And this is them testing you. This is them seeing, well, are you serious about this together thing, or are you not? And man, oh man, if we fail that test, we have just lowered that trust level to yes. another notch, right? But if we say, uh, that's all right if you don't know, um, I'll tell you what, just give it some thought for a couple of days and let me know, right? And then circle back. And then maybe you say, you know what? I can tell you're kind of struggling with this. I got an idea. Why don't we get on Groupon and look at, hmm. I don't know, a hundred different things that are offered on Groupon. And maybe we'll just find two or three that sound interesting, right? And again, if this isn't your normal dynamic, expect pushback on that. But if you just continue to offer these options, at some point, you're going to start to see a pattern with your kid. And they love dance. They love music. They love sports. They love hanging out with their friends. They love gaming, right? I had a person ask me one time, they're like, I don't think this concept works at all. They didn't ask. They told me. I don't think this concept works at all as a parent because my kid does nothing but gaming. They're in the room nonstop for gaming. And uh, I don't see how I can possibly connect with them. And I was like, all right, let me think about that for a second. Take them to Comic-Con. Take them to GameCon. Because if what you're saying is this is your kid's area of interest, show them a reality in which and, – and this parent's great fear, by the way, was that they were going to be literally living at home until they were 40 years old and never have a job. So I was like, so take them to GameCon. Take them to Comic-Con and show them that there are ways in which you can take your passion for gaming and you can learn about it and you can design games and you can market games. I mean, think about it. There is someone who does tax accounting for the gaming industry. So, right. hey, right. I mean, you might, if you're going to be a tax accountant and you love games, you might as well be a tax accountant for a gaming company. You know, So there are a thousand million different ways that you can take your things you're excited about and passionate about and make a living off of them. And as parents, the more we can help without being like, okay, so you could get a job doing that, but more just like gently ease our kids into these worlds and these realities so that they get excited about them. And, and that's unbelievable way to both connect with your kids and have them excited about life, which I think, as you said, that's one of the main goals. Yeah. Connect with your kids and have them be excited about life and be able to do it together. And I love too, is it doesn't have to be what you love. No. You know, like you love being with your kid. Yeah. So if you're at, you know, Comic-Con or whatever it is that you think they should be doing, you just want to be connecting with them and them not feel like you're just dragging them to this life that you are creating for them. Um, you're trying to expose them to things that are bigger, um, but in a realm that they're passionate about. I mean, those are two amazing tips. Just go on Groupon and look at a hundred things. I mean, 
you do that with your kid, they're going to come back with, oh, there's this baking class or there's this rock climbing gym that's doing this thing. And right there, there you go. And this journey could just be set off with this amazing relationship with you and your kid because that's the thing is we have to get out of that daily routine. I mean, we have nice family dinners and stuff like that, but to just get in the car and go do something together, new conversation comes and that's where the relationship is built. It's not about rock climbing or the the baking class. It's about the connection that you're going to create during that thing. Totally. Ah, some that's of my, so good. Some of my best conversations with my daughter Everything about what it's like to grow up, you know, as she's going through her changes as a, a kid growing into a woman, mm-hmm. about crushes with boys happen in our in my truck as we're driving somewhere, and mm. we're just together. We're not doing anything spectacular in the truck. We're driving, but it is that time together. Um, but and I will tell you one of the one of the best decisions I ever made in in line with this was when she was almost two years old. And I realized how fast she was growing up. I mean, just I couldn't believe that two years had passed. I decided that two days a week we were going to do what I called Adventure Day. And Adventure Day meant back then, pack up the stroller, pack up the baby pack, pack the diapers, everything, right? Put her in the car seat and we would go off on an adventure. Now at two, she wasn't aware enough to pick where we were going to do. So I picked and I took her to every zoo, every... Um, museum, everything that we could do within a one and a half hour drive of our house. We, I took her to like a civil war thing or no, not a civil war, but a place where there was this union versus Indians attacks in a national park. I mean, stuff that she couldn't even really comprehend yet at age two, right? But just to establish this pattern of we're going to go spend some quality time. Mm, yeah. And this continues to this day. And so when some, we were talking about, not, uh, we didn't talk about it yet, but one concept I have in my life is non-negotiables. And so non-negotiables are adventure day is adventure day. And someone wants to do an interview, not available. Someone wants it, not available, right? That's adventure day. And uh, I cannot tell you how we have bonded on this. And the key point that I want to make is something that you referenced earlier. You know who gets to pick what we do on adventure days? It's not me, right? When she was probably about four and sort of had that cognitive awareness, This is something else that another parent taught me, and I totally put it to good use. She said that when she was a kid and the family was going to go on a summer trip, her dad would get pamphlets of options for where they could go, and he would put them on the kitchen table, and he would say, all right, you guys decide where we're going this summer. That's awesome. Yeah, right? And no matter what they picked was a win because the parent had sort of pre-selected a category, right? Um, And so with my daughter... As I, I, I suppose I used that same technique when she was about four. I'd be like, all right, do you want to go to the science museum? You want to go to the zoo? Or you want to do something else, right? And she would pick. And by letting her pick and not trying to adjust it to my needs or my interests, right? I was able to establish this pattern of the time is not about me. It's not about the activity. It's just about hanging out together. And that, honest to God, I, I distinctly remember that woman uh, telling me that story. And I'm so grateful that she taught me that. That was way before I ever had kids, but I remembered it. That's incredible. And you could take that. I mean, how simple to just lay out, okay, Saturday, it doesn't have to be the whole summer. Like this Saturday, kids, we're going to go hang out as a family. Here's three options. You guys decide where we're going, you know, to let them play a role in, in it because then they're going to have ownership of it too. 
Right. And you got, uh, you have five kids. So it's a little easier for me probably because there's no inter kid dynamic. Um, so, but maybe with five kids, you know, one of the things we do when we travel as a family is instead of having the conversation, well, what do you feel like for dinner? Right. Mm. Well, I want pizza. Oh, I want Thai food. Oh, I want Mexican. Right. That was just so non-productive, and we experienced that. That now we are just—it's on a rotation system. So every meal, someone gets to pick, and then the next person, the next one. Right? This has eliminated. And you, hey, I'm sorry if you don't have a taste for Mexican, but somebody else picked Mexican and it's their turn. Suck it up and deal with it. Right? Yep, that's life. <laughs> because you're going to get to pick next time. And this has so eliminated all the drama associated with that. And so I can totally see that. Yeah, if if it's family pick. That one, you know, on, on the first one, it's, you know, it's your youngest and then it moves up the chain of command until every kid has had a chance to pick and then you start all over. It, it just works, you know, and it takes yeah. a lot of the hassle out of things. Yeah, that's so good. All right. I think I'm going to ma- just ask you one more question then. In, uh, in the book, Big Five for Life, you know, you talk about a business owner um, being the leader and them creating an environment where people can succeed. So if we bring this into our home and we say, okay, as a father, you are one of the leaders in your home. And I think that the father can really set a tone in the home, right? Really create a safe environment or not. So as you think about how to set up an environment where people succeed, what do you think about that as a father? Absolutely. I think that's our goal as a parent is to prepare our child to be successful, and okay, so what does that mean? Well, probably the definition of success is going to vary for every single person who's listening to this. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's to raise a daughter who is self-confident, to raise a daughter who is happy, that she knows how to um, align her interests in life with her activities and that so that the majority of her minutes each day are spent doing something that she really genuinely enjoys, right? And so these types of things cannot be told because kids will a thousand times over imitate us whether we want them to or not. We can say all day long, um, you know, exercise every day. But if we're not exercising every day, they're not going to do that, right? We can say eat healthy, but if we're gorging on unhealthy foods every day, they're going to imitate what we do. And so as a leader, to me, the most important thing is to demonstrate. Be the role model that you're hoping that you can inspire your child to be. And that, I mean, that applies whether you're leading a company, whether you're leading a family, whether you're leading in a community, be the leader, be the, be the role model that you're trying to inspire other people to. Yeah, that's so good. So good. Do you have a PFE and big five for your family? And do you think that's important for us to, to create for, you know, you have it for your business. We spend thousands of dollars and hours and hours to make this thing for our company or a company you work for. And then we put it on a poster and we may or may not ever come back to it. Right. Or we may not work there or have this forever. How important is it for you to, to, to pause with your spouse or yourself and think about that for your family? It's, it's up to every person to decide. Certainly on an individual basis, it's critical in my opinion to living mm-hmm. a life that ends up being extraordinary. And, you know, you're talking about rebelling and creating. So to me, my part of my rebellion is against getting to the end of my life and finding out that I lived it ordinarily. You know, mm, I, I don't yeah. want to do that. I don't want to get to my deathbed and look back and say, well, gosh, there were all those things that I wished I would have done. That would be catastrophic for me. Right. And so if, if I'm rebelling against that, then what am I creating? Well, I'm doing my best to create that life that is extraordinary. 
And I can't do that if I don't take the time to define what that is for me. What are my big five for life? And why are those my big five for life? Because this is my PFE. This is my purpose on the planet. This is why I have been gifted a life. As you think about that, do you, I mean, this is your world, right? You're talking this, living this all the time. But do you personally pause every three months or every year, every couple years and go off and, and just stop and go, am I still on the course that I want? Is this PFE and big five still this, or does it need to be adjusted? How do you reevaluate that? Totally. Well, it depends on, so one of the things that's interesting about life is that as success comes your way in whatever way you define success, then Mm -hmm. there are more and more people who have good ideas about ways your success can grow. And so part of my purpose on this planet is to do my very best to inspire as many people as possible before I'm gone. And you know, people get excited about sharing the messages of the books. And so they come to me with ideas for everything from apps to games to whatever, right? And these are all things that are in alignment with part of my purpose, but these all can be massive distractions towards spending time with my kid Mm. and doing it in a way that I'm 100% present. Because if I'm playing, uh, you know, Monopoly on the floor, but all I'm thinking about is the three things in my inbox that I haven't answered yet, then I'm not really there. I'm just there physically, but I'm not there mentally. And so yeah, I'm constantly going back and asking myself, wait a minute, like, am I out of sync? And there's mm-hmm. definitely times that I am. I'm out of sync and I got to recalibrate back to what is most important to me. So do you do that based on um, it's Tuesday afternoon and I'm just feeling this? Or is it in my calendar where there's these two hours where I just step away and look at life from a different angle? Yeah, I think that uh, again, everybody's personality is different. So for everybody, the answer to that might be a little bit different. For me personally, at this point, it tends to be more of an intuitive thing where I feel inside of me that I am sliding out of balance. And well, that's okay. So that's huge because I think most most of us, let's just say men, because that's the the who the podcast is for, it works for all humans. We should trust our intuition, like you said at the beginning of our conversation. Why do you think so many of us We'll have a feeling or a thought. It's our intuition telling us, hey, check, check yourself, check what's going on. But we just bury it. Why do you think we do that? Well, because we were raised in an environment of John Wayne movies when I was a kid. Like that's what you mm. saw, right? Never give up. You try twice as hard. You, you, you know, you mm. double down your efforts. And don't get me wrong. I, I firmly believe in working hard. And I've worked hard since I was, I started working when I was 12 years old. I understand the value of hard work and appreciate the value of hard work. But there is a difference between working harder and harder and harder and working more intelligently. And I'll give you a great example of this. This, this came to me when I was doing an interview in, uh, in Asia. And in Asia, it's very much about the water and the, the, the feng shui and stuff that I quite honestly, like, I mean, I know when I feel good in an environment, I love being outside in nature, but the whole idea of like fountains and the, like, that's just not me, right? But nonetheless, I'm sort of in the midst of all this and I've got this interview going on and someone asked me a question similar to what you're asking. And I had this tremendous vision come to me and here's the vision. So imagine that your life is like a river. And it's a fast moving mountain river. And so it's, it's a lot of white water coming down. You got giant boulders in the river. You got uh, giant rocks. You got big logs, all kinds of stuff in this river, right? The destination for the water that's flowing down the river is the lake. And that is your big five for life. 
And so as you are moving your life in the direction of your big five for life, trying to fulfill these things that matter most to you, you encounter obstacles, right? Mm. And so imagine, picture that scene. So the water is coming down this river and there's this giant boulder, right? Three ton boulder sitting there. What we have been trained to do is to beat our heads against that rock and we feel the rock. We know it. it's there. And so what do we do? We back up and we say, not on my terms. And we ram into that thing twice as hard as before. And we will keep doing this until we eventually work our way through that rock. Now, hey, that type of tenacity, awesome. Love that, right? But think of how long it is going to take for that water to get through that rock. It will happen, but it is going to take millions of years. Mm. So what is cool is if you watch, water does something really amazing. So water comes out, it smacks that rock. It actually backs up a little bit. It circles, it eddies, and then it looks for something which in physics is called the path of least resistance. And it will circle and flow down. And then it will hit the next rock. It will come off of that. It will circle and find the all moving in the direction towards the end goal, which is the most important thing because it is not about proving that we can beat our head against the rock. The goal love is that. to get to the end. Right. That's so good. It's And it's freeing if you let yourself, I mean, just have some grace for yourself. Yeah. Know that the rocks are coming and be ready to just go around it. Yeah. It's just a different approach, right? And again, I think... Most of us were raised watching movies, and this was that that character, that archetype was the one that would just beat their head against the rock until victory arrived. And so it's allowing ourselves to say, well, okay, fine and well, there's a time and a place for that, but is that every time? Is that yeah. every situation? Yeah. All right, so last question for you. As you think about your daughter 20, 25 years from now, her own family, her own life. What is the legacy as you peer into her home that she's building? What are the pieces that you want to see? Ah, that's the legacy that I built. Right. I love that question. I get emotional. Just you asking that question makes my eyes mm. get emotional. My eyes tear up because, uh, again, just going purely with my intuition, you know what I would love? Cause I don't know if I'll even make it right. I had my kids pretty mm. late, my child pretty late. I don't know if I'll ever get to be a grandparent. So if I can't actually see it physically, what I hope I can see looking down from wherever I'll be at, I hope I see her on adventure days with her kids. Mm. To remember that that was a part of our story together. I love that. Because that's a simple thing, but it's hard to do if you don't pause and choose to do it. Yeah. If you don't let the the meeting that may seem so important, oh, well, sorry, I got to take this meeting tomorrow. I know tomorrow's adventure day, but this one time, I, you know, so it's, it's a simple decision to say, this is what I want to do, but to live it out is hard. But if you have your PFE and your big five already locked in your brain, then it's not hard. Like you said, it gets easier and easier. And I just love that because it comes down to enjoying your life with the ones that you love and you do that with your daughter and you are creating the legacy that one day she'll do that with her own children. So here's, here's to me the, the game changing moment associated with that. The reason we are willing to consider even taking the meeting 
is because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we don't take the meeting, then we're going to lose the clients. And if we lose the client, we can't provide for our family. And if we can't provide for our family, we're going to be homeless under a bridge someday with our family. And that is the great fear for a father. But I will not have provided. I will not have been the one who was able to protect them. But here's what I've discovered. The universe is watching. Substitute the word God. Substitute whatever your personal belief system attunes to this. And it is watching what we do. And because the universe, God, is a benevolent presence, it says, well, whatever they're doing, they must love it because they keep spending time at it. Mm. And they have free choice and they have free will. So whatever they're spending their time on, they must truly love that. And therefore, I will give them more of that because I'm a benevolent being. And so when we spend time with our kids, the universe says, ah, I see. They love to spend time with their kids. I will give them more opportunities to do that while they are still being able to provide for their families. And so that client meeting that we thought was so important when we honor Adventure Day, the next day the client calls and they say, you know what, I'll take twice as many of whatever we were talking about before. Ned, this has happened so many times. Mm -hmm. It is like unbelievable validation that if we allow ourselves to trust this new paradigm and work hard when it's time to work hard, Right? But honor these other things when it's time to honor these other things that we don't lose. We don't end up homeless and under the bridge. We don't end up unable to provide for our family. To the contrary, we end up in a far better position than we ever could have imagined. So good. John, thank you. Thank you. I just, uh, you sharing your life with us, sharing your stories, sharing your worldview, my hope is that it inspires and encourages dads to know that they have what it takes. I mean, from the moment you and I started talking, you said, when you look down at that baby, we don't always give the dad something to the extent of, uh, to trust your instinct, to trust, trust your intuition. You as a dad have what it takes. And so through, through hearing you share your life, that's my hope right now is that all the dads listening go, Oh man, I have, I have some ideas for my family. Totally. Totally. And I'm going to go after those. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for all that you do, for how you inspire the world, how you've inspired me, um, and how it has just trickled down to my, my wife and my kids and my business. And now all those who are, who are kind of following with Rebel and Create and the idea around fatherhood being so important. So thank you. I, I so appreciate the time that we got to share together. I thank you. And, and I want to close with one final thought. And that is that, listen, we're all going to make mistakes, right? This is not necessarily going to go perfectly. And so we've talked about some of the things that I've tried and implemented and have gone well. So let me, let me tell you a time when I didn't do it well. And let's, let's share that. And, and just because I want everybody to know that you're going to try some things, but we can learn from these moments too. So when we were on our trip, we took her when she was four and a half years old to go backpack around the world and see animals. And uh, one of the countries we went was Australia. And so we were in Australia and we had rented this little camper van. And it was an absolute nightmare. We had three people living in a van. There was no room to sleep. There was no room to move. There was no bathroom in there. So at night you had to go because we were staying in campgrounds and you had to walk to the bathroom. And it was cold at night. And so inevitably at two in the morning, 
somebody's got to go bathroom. And so, you know, you got to put on your shoes. It's Australia where the most venomous snakes in the world live and you got to get yourself to the bathroom, right? And so we're straight, we're staying in all these camper parks and, and my kids, God, she's just, she's unbelievable. No complaining, no whining. Like, I mean, truly an adventurous spirit, right? I get grumbly about stuff that she's like, dad, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine, right? Well, on this one particular night, She's got to go to the bathroom. It's two in the morning. I get her little shoes on. I carry her. We go to the bathroom. And I guess at that moment on that day, she had just reached her limit, you know, and she was crying. And these campgrounds, there's so many other people there camping in their tents and in their RVs and whatever that. And so here we are in the bathroom at two in the morning and she's just bawling, just bawling, you know, and all I can think about is, oh my God, we are literally going to wake up everybody in this campground, you know? And so I'm trying to calm her down. I got my voice nice and quiet. Nothing is working. Absolutely nothing is working. And so I decided to try what I hate doing, which is I'm going to try the, I will start taking this away from you if you don't stop crying, right? So I was like, you know, Sophia, if we, if you don't stop crying tomorrow, we're not going to go to the animal park, right? So I'm very... I'm very matter of fact now with her. I'm, I've gone from loving dad to very matter of fact dad, right? You know, if you don't, if you don't do this, we're going to take it. We're not going to the animal park tomorrow, right? I'm not raising my voice, but I'm very matter of fact. And uh, what does she do? Because I'm sure in her little psyche, she was like, this is the worst thing ever. Now he's going to take away this guy who loves me supposedly is now going to take away this other thing from me. So what does she do? She starts crying even harder, right? And I'm, I'm there, Ned, and I'm looking at her on the toilet, right? And, and and I'm just like, I am such an idiot. I am such an idiot. And I held her little head in my hands and I said, I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm so sorry, boo. I said, daddy's got it. Like, I got, I got you. And I held her in my arms. If anybody could see me, they could tell I'm getting emotional because I remember this so distinctly. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, I got you, right? And she calmed down. And I took her back and we went back to sleep. That was not me at my finest hour, right? And it required my four and a half year old to remind me of who I was supposed to be. Yeah. Because I was so concerned about everybody else. I was so concerned about everybody else in the campground getting awake that I stopped paying attention to the one person in the world that I was supposed to be paying the most attention to in that moment. Right? But you, you, we have an expression in our house. You know what? When you do something wrong. There's a, there's a very simple process. Uh, when you mess up, the first thing you do is you say you're sorry. Right? And then you own it. You say, that's my bad. Right? So I'm sorry, that's my bad. And then you fix it. And then step number four, which is so critical, you move on. Hmm. And in that moment, I had to acknowledge the fact that I was not my best on that day. And I said, I'm sorry, I owned it, I fixed it. And then I had to allow myself to move past it because if I hold on to that forever, then I'm not doing her any services as a kid. I'm not doing myself any service as a parent. I learn from the mistake I made and I move on. That's good. I think that's a, a, a hard piece for dads and people is to move on. But that's a critical fourth step to remember. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, if we never forgive ourselves for the mistakes, never learn from those mistakes and then make, you know, make, we're going to, we're going to get better the next time. Right. I think that's the critical moment. The critical thing you just said is 
is don't move on from in the sense of just bury it or sweep it under the rug move on learning from what happened yeah yeah and that's what life is about right is that growth and opportunity we have to continue to evolve into that person that i want to be absolutely absolutely John, thank you for that last story. Thank you for all this time together. I so appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. And I I greatly admire and honor the work that you do and the way in which you do it. And uh, I know that your efforts touch the lives of a lot of people. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. So thank you. Pretty incredible conversation with John around fatherhood. I so loved his authenticity towards life. And I don't throw that word out loosely. I truly think that he has an authentic heart and view towards his world, towards the world. I hope that as you listen to this, you're inspired to think about your life, to create the life that you desire for you and your family. I encourage you to go pick up Big Five for Life. Check it out. If you go read it, call me and talk to me about it. I've read the book multiple times and I'll probably read it every year for years to come. It's incredible and I love talking to people about it. So reach out to me. Let's talk about it. I hope that today is a museum day for you. I hope that you create memories in life with those around you. And I just want to say thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do truly matters. Do not be like everybody else. Be yourself. Make your own museum. This is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. The you, the real you. This is your guide, Ned. Shout together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. Please go follow us, like us on Facebook, Instagram. Please send this link to a friend if you think it would be helpful to where they have found themselves in life right now. And if you could take five minutes and just rate this on iTunes and write a quick review, it helps put this up at the top when other dudes are looking for encouragement and inspiration around parenting and fatherhood. Talk to you next time. Thank you.